right. Ooh, welcome to episode. Hold on, hold on, hold on. My entire computer decided to like turn into oh, what do they call it? Night mode, night light, night shift, night shift. Thank you, night shift. My whole everything went fucking orange, dude. I can't see anything. You know, it's not cool. Night shift, dude. Hell no. Hell no, dude. <laughs> Hell no. Night shift, true tone. Hell no. But banana bread. Hell, Hell yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> Welcome to episode 440 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, what do we got on the docket for today? We'll be talking about design, critique, and then in the sidebar, talking about side project jitters. One of us is working on something new. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess both of us. But a special spotlight on you today. Spotlight on me. Talking about side project jitters. That'll be in the sidebar. But uh, yeah, we got a packed agenda. Let's dive in. Okay. This week we are sponsored by Play. Brian, uh, I've talked about Play on the show before. Sung their praises and they're a sponsor. Again, so happy that they're sponsoring the show. They didn't give me anything to read. So I'm just going to Go off the top of my head from the heart here, okay? Off the top of your head from the heart. Yeah. I love it. But, you know, really pulling from my gut. So really, it's all three involved <laughs> at the same time. Uh, okay, so what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. what is Play? For those who don't know, Play is a prototyping tool like nothing you've really ever used before. It's built native on iOS and iPad OS. So it uses all native components. It's super performant. You have access to stuff that you wouldn't have access to on a lot of other prototyping tools like multi-finger gestures and maps, video playback. Not to mention it's got its own built-in design system where you can like manage your color and typography and even build your own components. So that's kind of what it is. But recently they've released the iPad version, Brian, and I've been waiting for this forever. Why is it good? Well, first off, more pixels, more room for activities, right? And the nice thing about that is when you hold your iPad landscape, your left thumb can kind of navigate through the layers and your right thumb can kind of adjust the properties in the properties panel. So you never really have to poke around on the canvas. It's a really nice way to design. I don't know how to describe That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Feels really good. Anyways, so another advantage of having the app on iPad, and they wrote an article on Medium about it. Check it out in the show notes. But they did some fancy math to figure out how to render your designs at different iPhone sizes. So everything from a mini all the way up to the biggest max. They've figured it out through using pixels per inch and logical size and physical size and the aspect ratio. They figured out exactly how it will render without having to test it on those devices. So instead of having an array of test devices on your desk, you can just have your iPad and know that it will look like that on those phones without having to invest in them. They wrote an article, like I said, it goes into a lot more detail on Medium. It's super cool. You should check it out. But that's Play, and you might not have had access to it up until this point because there's a waiting list. But I have good news for you, Brian. We have 100 invite codes. So the first 100 of you to go to the show notes and click on that link will get access to Play. I'm really excited about this because I feel like I've been talking about this app a lot of times, Brian, but nobody really has access to play around with it. Hey, there you go. So thank you, Play, for sponsoring. Get those codes. All right. Thank you, Play. This week, we're supported by Zeppelin. Zeppelin has built a new feature called Flows, which are a fast and effortless way to create and outline user flows and journeys using flows to connect screens and seconds and map complete user journeys, showing not just the happy path, but all possible paths and behaviors. It's super easy to set up, super easy to use, and no more fidgeting with those arrow layers on your canvas. 
Use Zeppelin Flows. Link in the show notes to learn more. Otherwise, head to zeppelin.io. That's Z-E-P-L-I-N dot I-O. Thank you, Zeppelin. Okay. We also have some new, very important pixels to welcome into our ever-growing hot tub of cool people who listen to this show. It's filling up fast, Brian. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Thank you all for, for jumping on the Patreons and supporting the show. Huge shout-outs to Su Ling Tsang, Antonia Sullivan, James Carthew, Sharada Krishnamurthy, Harry Curtis, Marius Libman, Jacqueline Sake, Daniel Kling, Martin Weisenborski, Noah Levin, Owen Andrews, Josh Kay, Parth Kapadia, Yang Chang, Jessica Ray Vergara, Jordi Enrique, Andy Staple, Andreas Forster, Deborah Johnson, Justin Wynn, Clarence, Ifan Pang, Mike Porterfield, Ioana Cardos, Hello Hill, and Tomas L. Woo! Wow, Brian, what a big list. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to the fam. Welcome, and if you haven't already been digging into the backlog of sidebars, be sure to catch today's sidebar. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week, designers, just like you from around the world, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, get access to bonus content every single week, a double app. We call that extra episode the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The sidebar is our chance to just spend more time nerding out about design, tech, new events. And this week, we're talking about side projects. We're going to be talking about something new that I'm working on and some of the jitters that surround building and shipping a new project. So if you want to hear that, get access to our backlog of sidebars and get access to double episodes going forward. Head to patreon.com slash design details and support us for just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. Okay, Marshall, main topic time. Let's get into it. We have a listener question coming to us on GitHub from Amy Chen, who asks, how do you establish a recurring design critique session? Amy continues. I have a question. I'm part of a design team that has lots of talented designers and everyone is supportive, humble, and doing great work. But no one seems to want to sign up for weekly design critiques, but rather like sharing work in progress in Slack. And every time my manager encourages, she would hear all kinds of excuses. Curious, how does your team establish a recurring design critique session? Is it mandatory or does everyone just love to share? What's the process of signing up for one? Thank you, Amy. Mm, good question. Thanks for the question, Amy. So I think the interesting part of this is, have you ever been in a situation where people have been forced to share work? Like if you don't share work, you're not doing your job, like been in that kind of situation? Or have you always been on a team or, or in an organization where critique is just what people do? Like it doesn't have to be forced. Yeah, I think it's more that it's it's not so much that it's forced, but it is kind of like expected. It just becomes part of routine. So then part of that is just you just love sharing your work. I'm just used to it. I, I guess I, my role has changed. But when I was working on a product team, typically what would happen is we would have weekly check-ins where we would update our to-do tasks and say, okay, here's what I've accomplished in the last week or whatever. And that would be an opportunity to show progress on the things that you'd been working on, ask questions, get feedback, all that stuff. So it's just, it was kind of like everybody shows up to this meeting to give each other updates. And part of that is showing mocks. And that's kind of like one thing that's like intra team, like within your own team. There's another thing of like getting design feedback. If there's a, another team 
or a leadership team that needs to review stuff before you can move forward with it. That's a that's more of a formal process than this. But I don't know. What do you think? Um, I was surprised in this question that people didn't want to sign up for the weekly critique, but preferred sharing work in progress in Slack. I feel like Slack is the last place I want to get feedback. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I share work in Slack too. And I just lose track of the comments so quickly. It's like, you got comments there. You got comments in a GitHub issue. You got comments in your Figma file. Like there's just comments everywhere. So I don't know. Slack is fine. But I actually look forward to the design critique that we have every week. We have two of them. Um, I don't know. Obviously, you can have a bad critique. But in general, we've just built it up as an expectation that you're probably going to show something. We skip weeks sometimes where like maybe one person has something to share. Again, we're a small, tiny team, but like maybe one person has something to share and someone else doesn't that week or they were out a couple of days. Like, you know, it's always flexible. But generally people are working on stuff and they want that feedback. They're craving it. You know, I feel like we always come away from a critique having learned something or someone else pointed out an obvious mistake or some way that something could be better or forced you to reconsider a decision from a different point of view. And I just find all that super helpful because I get stuck in my own head designing stuff. You know, you're like, you're in your Figma file, you design all these flows and you prototype and it's gorgeous and it works perfectly in your head. And then you show it to someone and they're like, but what about this? And you're like, oh shit, right. Totally forgot about that. And so for me, it's like, I need this, right? Like I can't create something good if I don't get lots of critique from other people to point out, you know, the, the oversight and like ways it could be better and just ask me questions. Expose it to more brains. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So how do you convince a team that doesn't do that or doesn't feel that way? How do you convince them that it's necessary? I feel like forcing people to present work, you know, like having a call sheet is maybe the wrong incentive structure here. It would make it feel like a chore when it should feel like a one, it's our job, right? It's like this is the expectation. But two, how do you make it feel like, no, this is such an opportunity to spend an like a very high density signal to noise ratio hour of time to make your work better? I think if I was in this situation, and then I would love to hear your your thoughts, but I think if I if I was in this situation, I would really try and diagnose why people don't want to show up to a critique. And I imagine that there are, you know, a couple reasons come top of mind. Like maybe one is people have been burned by critiques in the past. Like they've had critiques that weren't productive or they've had too many that they didn't feel like they took away something useful or they had too many where one person hogged the whole time. So they didn't feel like they had, I don't know, space to navigate. But maybe people have just had bad experiences in the past. So that's that's one reason. And then maybe another reason is I feel like depending on the vibe of the team, it can be scary to show work that you know has flaws in it. And if you don't feel like you're sharing that in a safe space, like a psychologically safe space where no one's going to judge you for having made a mistake, maybe people will be a little bit more hesitant. Now, I think that this is something to develop as a personal skill. Like, can you get to the point where you individually are sort of mentally sturdy enough? I don't know what the right word is here, where you could take harsh feedback and sort of deal with that without sort of losing your mind or really beating yourself up. But in the interim, like, I know that there are some strategies around having critiques without managers present. You know, for example, that would be maybe one strategy here. Some people just feel like, you know, showing something that's going to have mistakes that might not be perfect. And having that be evaluated not only by their peers, but also by the person who's responsible for their promotions and, and their sort of career development can be quite a lot. Again, I would encourage people to like get over that fear, but maybe one strategy is to 
break apart the critique or like start smaller in groups where the people really trust each other and then work your way up to including a broader group. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. Uh, the meeting that I was referring to earlier did not include our direct manager. We had another meeting with the direct manager to show stuff, but that was a little bit more far along when we showed stuff upwards like that. Um, I think, well, there's a few parts here. Like to your, the point you're just making, I think it's really important to keep it low barrier of entry, right? Like you don't need to make a deck every time you present your stuff here. Like it's good to have the bar be low enough that, yeah, just navigating around in a Figma file or whatever, that is the level of polish we expect, you know, so that there is an extra work to show the work. Like that always sucks. I hate making decks to show, uh, just work on top of the work I've already done. Like I hate, anyways. So I prefer those type of informal things. It also creates an environment of like, yeah, this isn't buttoned up. If there are mistakes or whatever, I can literally change it right here, you know? The other thing I think is super important is the cadence, right? We're talking about when to get that feedback or, you know, how important it is to get other brains looking at the stuff that you're making. That's one reason to want feedback. Another reason is like you get stuck or you have a few options that you can't really decide between. I guess this is, you know, still getting more brains on it, but like you want a cadence that is frequent enough that there isn't ever a huge wait between the opportunity for you to get that type of feedback, but not so frequent that you're canceling a majority of the meetings because there's nothing to show, no updates. And then people get lax on actually showing up to that meeting like, oh, yeah, we cancel half of them. I don't need to be ready for it. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I think it's a, a balance of cadence. I think it's important to keep the bar low. We're just talking about mocks here. We're just talking about design. It's OK if it's a little bit messy. It know. should be fun too like yeah i think part of the term critique is like such a it puts a lot of weight on it and you know maybe there's situations where there should be weight i feel like that ends up getting escalated to like design review usually when like leadership people are looking at your mocks right that's what I was but referring when you're with to peers yeah. i don't know maybe it's even just the framing like call it a design jam or something i don't know yeah jam is like the word we use too yeah I like, okay cool it's super yeah. informal it's like this is kind of it's not a sprint or a workshop or anything we're just jamming right just jamming yeah yeah i love that lower the expectation lower the pressure lower the bar to presenting work make it acceptable yeah okay one thing that i like is you know i think having the recurring schedule is nice but sometimes ad hoc is also nice like a just had many moments where you kind of have to get lucky with the timing where you'll post on Slack, you might share some work in progress and just say, hey, if anyone has 15 minutes, like let's jam on this now, right this second. And sometimes if the other person is also free and you get that like magic moment, I love having that ad hoc feeling instead of having to just live and die by your calendar schedule. I feel like this is part of the problem of remote work is you don't get spontaneous design critique. Like this happens in the office, right? At lunch, you're talking about random shit. And then someone's like, oh, wait, you should check out this thing. And then all of a sudden you're having a design critique right there. You don't have to plan it, schedule it, set up a Zoom meeting. Yeah, I mean, this is probably why they're pasting stuff into Slack, right? That's easy. Just throw it in there. It's just so hard to get people's times and availability to align. Yeah, <laughs> so you go, the easiest setup. thing is the asynchronous thing. Yeah, Yeah. the fact that people, going back to Amy's question, like the fact that people enjoy sharing work in progress in Slack is actually still a pretty good sign. Mm -hmm. Like I think the bigger problem would be nobody wants to critique and nobody wants to share in Slack. 
that's like a much bigger problem, right? Okay, nobody's sharing any work in progress. Right. But figuring out the Slack part, like maybe that's more symptomatic of, I don't know, just the remote world we live in. So in that case, if you want like the in-person thing to happen, I agree, like getting some muscle memory, schedule memory, whatever you want to call it, which is this time every single week, we're spending an hour together. And even, I don't know, like one thing I've started doing recently that's been really fun is like, even if we finish early, we just talk about other shit. What cool apps have you been trying lately? Have you noticed any interesting new design patterns? Like uh, this morning, I actually had a, it was in a one-on-one with another designer on my team. It's not like a a manager one-on-one, it's just me and another peer find some time together every Monday. And we just talked about cool websites we had seen and like looked at websites together and said, oh, look at that dropdown. Isn't that interesting? And it wasn't a design critique, but it was like a, I felt like we were helping each other grow, like pointing out things and like studying other design together. It felt really productive. So I don't know. I think finding those moments will just make this feel, it will make critique or jams or whatever you end up calling it, something that people look forward to and not something that they're dreading. Yeah. Staying away from the forced aspect of this thing is priority numero uno, I think. One last thing that came to mind is, you know, Amy in the last sentence says, what's the process of signing up for one? And that made me think maybe there's too many people. Like if you have to sign up, I think this happens quite often is like teams will grow. You end up with like 10 people on a team and 10 people are not going to be able to share work every week. And so I think this is where maybe critique gets a little bit tricky is when 10 people get in a room and only two people have time to share work, it kind of gives cover to eight people where they might not have to have something ready. They can kind of not pay attention. It might feel like a waste of time. So in those situations, I would just recommend breaking it up. And it kind of sucks because I've been through that at GitHub where we broke apart some bigger critiques into smaller critiques. And in some ways you miss that time with that larger group of people, but the smaller critiques with like three or four people who have more context it's just way more productive, a uh, lot more built-in trust and like understanding of the problem space. So if you if you're even having to like wonder about signing up for a critique, that might be a sign that there's too many people going to the meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a bummer to break it up. But hopefully, there's a share out process after that critique. So like anything that was said in the meeting is captured in the notes. And shared with everybody who wasn't in that meeting and they can see any outcomes that came from there. And if they have differing opinions, they can pipe in. But yeah, communication, important. Perfect. All right. Well, hope this was helpful, Amy. Let us know if any follow-up questions come to mind. And thanks for asking. Yeah. Sounds like you're already halfway there. So that's half the battle. Something G.I. Joe. I don't know. Great question. Thanks for writing in, Amy. All right, you want to do uh, some talk about some cool jobs this week, Marshall? Yeah, Brian, it's the job board. No, that's news desk. Oh, that's news desk. That's news desk is that's what that's reserved mm, for. Okay. Job board is to do. I was thinking maybe more of a trumpet thing. Got a trumpet for me, Brian? I don't know. Oh, that's a trombone. What are you doing? No, that's a trombone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you did Nicholas Sando. trumpet's more like, like a little bit more high-pitched, right? I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking like the the approach of uh, royalty kind of a thing. Like, Like, yeah, yeah. The job board, the job board. All right, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. First up, we have a new company joining the board this week. It is CALA, and they are building a next-generation platform and supply chain to allow anyone, anywhere, to build and scale their own fashion brand. And they're hiring a product designer to help customers from streetwear legends to sports teams to the biggest players in fashion bring their ideas to life. 
Next up is Universe. Universe is hiring a product designer who is obsessed with the delightful possibilities of software and sees UI design as an artistic medium, not just a method of problem solving. Join a new kind of design studio and shape a product that represents a radically better internet. We also have Mercury on the board this week, hiring product designers. Mercury powers the banking stack for companies like Linear, Maven, and Mighty. Join them to build beautiful software for founders. Learn more about the remote-friendly team and roles at mercury.design. And disclaimer, Mercury is a financial technology company that works with banks. And lastly, we have Current. Current is on a mission to help people create better financial outcomes for their lives. And they're hiring a talented senior mobile product designer with great visual design and UX skills. You'll be involved in the full product development cycle from early research and product strategy to design and developer handoff. We also have more than just these four. So we're only going to read out four every week, but I think there's 16 companies on our job board right now. So if you want to check out the rest of the roles, go to designdetails.fm slash jobs. Cool. Brian, are you ready for some cool things? Let's do it. I can go first. So Marshall, I'm working on a side project. And one of my favorite tools that I discovered Maybe I discovered this last year, and every time I, I use it, I just love it. I can't believe that this exists, and it's free, and it's open source, and it is called Headless UI. Headless UI is a toolkit for front-end developers built by the people who create Tailwind, which is another tool that I love for styling websites. Uh, Headless UI is actually an unstyled set of UI components that integrates with Tailwind CSS. So what does that mean? Okay, well, building things like menus and autocomplete dropdowns or multi-select lists or switches or dialogues or popovers, those things are very easy to build bad versions of or very easy to build inaccessible versions of. But if you're building a menu, you want it to be accessible. It has to work correctly with keyboard shortcuts. It's got to escape correctly. It's got to navigate correctly with arrow keys and enter and have the right labels for everything for people who are using screen readers and getting all of those details right is really, really hard. So that's what Headless UI has done. They have created these components that are traditionally very hard to get correct and accessible. They've exposed them in a very beautiful API built for React and Vue. And then they have all of these demos beautifully styled with Tailwind. So if you're already using Tailwind, you can literally just copy and paste their demos into your project and they just work perfectly. They also integrate with Framer Motion, which is a nice way to get some really subtle animations in all of these things, your menus, your dialogues, your switches, whatever it might be. And I don't know, every time I use these things, I just love them. They save me so much time. And I feel confident knowing that the code that I'm dropping into my project will be accessible and people uh, who use the thing I'm working on will, will you know enjoy that experience. They won't be frustrated that I broke what should just be a dropdown. So that's Headless UI. Uh, it's headlessui.dev. And I want to also just shout out an honorary mention. There's another project that's very similar to this and just different stack kind of. Uh, it's called Radix UI and they call their, their set of headless components like this their Radix UI primitives. I like them a lot. Uh, they just don't integrate as cleanly with Tailwind in my experience. So, But for people who aren't using Tailwind just want to check out more examples of good code I'll have a link to that in the show notes. So Headless UI and Radix UI. Cool thing. All right, what you got for me? All right, I keep hoping that I'll think of something better, but I haven't yet. So all right, we'll do this one. 
Uh, my cool thing this week is I hesitate to share it because for two reasons. One, Brian, it is exorbitantly expensive. Uh, and two, I, I stole it from a colleague of mine who shared it as like a cool thing with the rest of the UX team. So like, it's not even my cool thing, but it is very cool. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Just, just say it. Right, just here say we it. go. Okay. So we're not going to judge you. All right. So, uh, again, I'm just repeating everything that, uh, my colleague David Dearman said at our Monday kickoff where he shared a cool thing, but it is a toaster, Brian. It's called the Balmuda steam toaster oven. Um, it makes amazing toast. I've never really been happy with the toast that comes out of a toaster. Like even good toasters, like don't toast toast very well. And as such, I have lost my love for toast over the last several years. Like I, I just don't eat toast anymore. Enter the Balmuda steam toaster oven, Brian. Um, <laughs> Enter stage left. Yes. The craziest toaster you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a toaster oven, so you can do more than just toast in it. You can like reheat your pizza and, you know, you can even make cookies in it and stuff, but it's, it's great at doing toast. And what makes it special? Well, I hope this is proprietary or they patented it or whatever, but like you pour in five cc's of water into the top of this thing every time you turn it on and it releases that water and steams the toast a little bit. So it's still kind of like soft in the middle, but crunchy on the outside. It's like perfect toast. And I've, I sit there and watch it, right? Like, and the window steams up as it releases the the water but the heating element in the top of the machine kind of pulses. It doesn't just turn on and stay on. Whatever it's doing, it's doing something really nice because it reheats pizza really well. I don't have to heat the whole fucking oven to reheat some pizza or deal with like spongy microwave reheated pizza. So, you know, it's great. Uh, it's also $300. So is that worth <laughs> good uh-huh. toast for you? I don't know. I kind of tried it out as like, well, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll send it back. Turns out it's amazing. And it rekindled my love for good toast. So I've been eating lots of <laughs> toasted PBJs <laughs> lately. Well, here's what I think is cool about this. I, I don't have this. I don't know that I have room for it. $300 for a toaster is steep, although it is slightly more than a toaster. It is a toaster oven. You could technically use it as an oven. So I don't know. You could... You could compare it to something like an air fryer, almost slightly different, but like an air fryer, that's a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. Those can get more expensive, obviously, the more features you want. So I don't know, it's in that range. But I think the thing that's most interesting to me about this is it looks nice. Oh, it's like beautiful cool looking. It's like almost retro, right? It feels like a 60s era. Yeah, it feels a little bit like a Braun product. I think that's definitely what they're going for. Very simple knobs. Well, like the, the knob is even worth calling out, right? Like every oven, it's just a temperature. And it's like, oh shit, what temperature do I want? But their knobs are sandwich bread mode, artisan bread mode, pizza mode, pastry mode. And then just a few temperatures after that, 350, 400, 450. So I love that you just spin your dial to pizza and you don't have to like remember how to do pizza correctly, you know? I've been, like I said, I've been really enjoying it. Great English muffins, Brian. I'm not sure if you're a Thomas man, but I'm a Thomas man myself. <laughs> love that orange and white. Yeah. With some honey, a couple granules uh-huh. of salt, some butter. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Dude, you're making me hungry. Yeah, good shit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook one up as soon as we're done recording here. That sounds great. Uh-huh. That sounds great. Anyway, spell cool. me steam toaster oven. Cool thing. All right. Cool thing indeed. Well, Marshall, this has been episode 440 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you all enjoyed it. 
Let us know your thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Tweet at us. And thank you to Play for sponsoring this week's show. Check out Play on iPad to see how all of your designs look on different phone devices and look in the show notes to be one of the first hundred people to get access to an invite code. Go to Play, get that invite code. And if you want to get more design details in your ears right now, Go to patreon.com slash design details where you can sign up for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month and get access to bonus apps called the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. We'll catch you there. Patreon.com slash design details. That's it. Catch you next week. Bye. All right, you want to do uh, some talk about some cool jobs this week, Mark? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's tell some people about some open positions. Well, that sounds kind of sexual. Um. <laughs>